Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast. Dancing, dude, tonight. I don't pop my peas. Oh, you pop them. I don't pop peas, pal. Well, well now you're not doing it because I put that whole big gigantic piece of foam on your mic so you don't do it anymore. What did you do? I put a huge mic condom on your microphone so that your peas don't pop so hard no more. No, no, no. I don't need any foam around my No, mic. I will tell you that the listenership has has spoken and as much as they love you... You no, be popping a pee, bro. Your five-year-old daughter doesn't count. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the big guys in in the in the listenership, like the the week after week lava lampers have written me and said, yeah. "Hey, your sound is. is good. Every now and now and then, your brother sounded a little soft, and Joss's peas are a little." Hot. No, that does not happen. Well, okay, I'm just telling you, it does. It does I mean, happen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. How do you think Joss's peas sound? Um, <laughs> How do you I'm, think I'm, Joss's I'm, peas I'm, I'm sorry, sound? what? It's kind of like a cow on a flat rock, <laughs> is, if you ask me. Um, but uh, you you let me know. Uh, we'll find out. You have found yourself to the 32nd episode of the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. Starring Joss McGinty. Why is it the Jeremy Webisodes podcast starring Joss McGinty? I think it has a little better ring to kind it. Kind of a... Yeah. People remember me. It's a I zippy... Mean, uh, yeah, it's a zippy. Starring. Joss. Zippy. Because no one's ever heard the name Joss. What's what's better after that? Is it with Ryan Hatch or the and G- Ryan the Hatch? The Jeremy Webisodes podcast starring Joss McGinty with... <laughs> Starring Josh McGinty <laughs> and Ryan. I think Anne flows better. And but then Ryan. you're sharing the the yeah. starring role. I'm I'm okay with with. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. With? I, want, I want the and for you, Ryan. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm third Mike. I'm okay with that. I want the and for you, bro. So anyway. Does Ryan get the capital letters on the billboard, too? My, no, mine are in a... his name is like in lowercase letters. Lowercase letter. Two-point smaller font. It's smaller with font. With Ryan Hatch. With Ryan Hatch. <laughs> So you've you found your your way, ladies and gentlemen, to the Jeremy Webisodes podcast, starring Joss McGinney with Ryan Hatch. Webisode number thirty-two, recorded Wednesday, March third, in the year two thousand and twenty-one. And never fear, the lava lamp is indeed burning brightly in the lab as a beacon <laughs> for all the lost souls in the world. May they find their way home. And let me tell you guys. Um, I'm still reeling from the moose a little bit from last week. Yeah. It was great. It was it was hearty. Um and I and I and as a as a person that spends a lot of time in the kitchen, I started to kind of like think about the reality of the fact that we we ate moose and how it was prepared and and I started to try to research preparing moose and how my brother went about it. So I kinda wanna get into that. But before we get into any of that stuff, we gotta get into this bottle. And this one was provided by another avid listener of the show who also happens to be related to me. Uh, this is from my nephew. And uh, he has sent us, he lives in Northern California, so he sent us Redwood Empire Emerald Giant Rye Whiskey. First question. Yes, sir. 
How much does it cost per label for each letter? Because that's a long name. I mean, actually, that's a really good question, Joss. Um, I've this is by far our longest named bottle. Right, that's a it's great like question. Three lines. Um, the average label, a really, really good label. Um, with it, this is embossed. When you rub your fingers across it, you can feel there's, uh, there's some uh, relief to the right. picture. It's a beautiful. It's a cool picture, John Muir. Um, I'll, I'll I'll post a picture of this on uh, on our Instagram page so that the listenership can see it. But um, I would say the average label can cost anywhere from fifteen to thirty cents. Yeah. To put on the bottle. So when you're building your overall cost of a bottle, you're thinking about how much the label costs. When you're putting something in a bottle, so you have your production cost. That includes the juice you put in it. Then it includes the label. It includes the bottle. Right. And it also includes the, the stopper. Yeah. Right. And so stoppers vary. You know, when we talk about stoppers from time to time on the show let's get a bottle pull on this one cork pull Ooh, nice it's it's real cork um underneath a wood stopper so i would say a stopper like this is going to cost you another easily 50 cents as high as a a buck 50 cork is really really expensive so now you're building that into the bottle cost so bulk glass let's say the bottle probably costs a dollar dollar thirty two dollars for the bottle. Okay, now we're another 30 cents to a dollar 30 into the, the the topper, the cork. Right. Um the label cost, which is probably around 30, you know, 50 cents, you know, and it gets more and more expensive. This is your just a paper label. If you're going to actually um print on the bottle and do actually etching that's a lot more expensive obviously there's different levels of of kind of like how you can label there's um uh there's a there's shrink wrap which is another way that they're slightly a little more expensive than your average kind of lick and stick right. uh paper label but Plus, all in all i would say packaging in this thing they're probably in around three dollars well yeah they used to always say like in in a wine you know, you go to a, a good, you know, vineyard or a, a winemaker, and you, the, some of them in Italy were actually starting to show like, this is what costs money. You know, like if you're buying a six dollar bottle of wine, like it costs us four dollars to package it. Right, and get exactly. It to you. Packaging. Well, as a guy that has a patent, yeah, and has looked into packaging and and yeah. and, and, and building out products, you know, packaging is 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 yeah. very expensive. So and a lot expensive. of people don't think about that when they're factoring in, you know, what they're buying. Oh, I'm buying a bottle of whatever. I'm paying for the hooch. Well, yeah. not just the hooch, but the the, the bottle, bottle it's in, and the prettier yeah. the better. Yeah. So, um but you know, there's value in in in, in a pretty bottle in yeah. an eye catching label. But yeah, but four of six dollars on a cheap bottle of wine, like right, that right. sucks. Yeah. That's where that's where you got to make your make your call. Like, when, what are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, Redwood Empire Emerald Giant Rye Whiskey. This is a hundred percent rye. Um, they. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the distillery. I tried to look it up. There wasn't a, a ton of information. I do know that a percentage of every purchase of this bottle goes towards the Sierra Club and John Muir's. Uh, John Muir founded the the Sierra Club. John Mayer. Muir. The, <laughs> yeah. John, John Mayer. Mayer. 
Right. Your body is a wonderland. Oh, right. And it's now owned by the Sierra Club. And so every so the Sierra bottle Club of owns this, John Mayer. You get no. John Mayer. John Muir is gets to John Muir's body is a wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> and playing the part of John Muir is John Mayer. If they made a movie about John Muir and used John Mayer, that would be cool, I guess. You'd have to grow a beard. And... I mean, there'd be some kind of, like, Grateful Dead guitar solo in there. But So. Jeez. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, long, so it's got a long neck with this little bulb in it. And that's that's key. With this, It's got a, a small mouth with the bulb in the neck. And that gives you that. Every time. Ooh. Look, before it even comes out of the bottle, listen. Gurgling before what? So that's four pours for Jer. Anyway, <laughs> but he's beautiful. doing it for the show. I mean, yeah, that's right. commitment. Right. So 100% rye. We we've talked about rye. We've talked about ergot. Uh, Ergo. We, yeah, we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about. You know, this is this is essentially this is this is a, a whiskey mash bill with a high rye. Can you pull the mash bill off it off the bottle, Joss? What do you mean the mash bill? What do I mean? I love that at 32 webisodes in, Joss doesn't know what mash bill means. Do you know what the term mash bill means, Joss? Of course. What Ryan, does it mean? Why don't you explain? <laughs> what is a mash bill? I, don't, I know the bill was passed in the 50s. It 60s. really boggles my mind that you can just be so absolutely unaware. So the mash bill is oh. the recipe. Rec recipe. Recipe. For um, to make it, yeah, to make it, yeah. So a mash bill for bourbon has to be what percentage corn? I don't, Jeremy. Please, really? I, I mean, it's. I'm not. I'm not one for off the cuff questions. What's hilarious is that I guarantee you that every other one, the, the people that are actually listening to the show, are answering in their cars, their houses, their homes. They're screaming at the speaker right now because they know the answer. Well. Call it in. Let's we, put them we, to the we test. We don't have a live. Oh, that's not live. That's not a thing we do. But no. so you're telling me right now, as a guy that's Simon the show doesn't for know. Thirty-two. Simon doesn't. Simon, know. do you know how what what percentage of a mash bill a bourbon has to be? Wait, wait wow. wow, that was that was, that was, was speaking Yoda. Oh, yeah. How, how much, much corn how much has corn? to be in a bourbon mash bill? Fifty-one percent. Fifty-one. Fifty-one percent. Just the majority. The majority has to be corn to be called bourbon. The fact that you don't. I know did that know that. Reiterates I the fact you needed, that you I are didn't know the, extremely. I, I didn't know that you needed the exact percentage. No, I was literally asking for the percentage. So anyway, good. You've learned nothing. Um, <laughs> what were you saying earlier about jelly? You you like jelly? Peanut butter and jelly. What kind of? It, what's your favorite kind grape, of jelly? Grape jelly, and it's not even close. I, I don't even know what like anyone else would do with crunchy peanut butter than put it with grape jelly. PB and J is peanut butter and grape jelly on Wonder Bread. Period. I mean, that's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Can you guys tell me it's not grape? You mean like Smucker's grape yes. jelly? Welch's Smucker's. No, yeah, Smucker's grape is actually the best one. You, you're right. Welch's just. Purple jelly. Purple jelly. Well, the, the one of them was like a clear gelatinous 
thing and the other one had you know kind of seeds and stuff in it yeah i feel like, smuckers no. came around after welch's now, there's no seeds or anything in any nobody makes a yeah. grape jelly no, that, that has anything, anything in it? there's no okay. grape preserves uh, right yeah. there might be strawberry preserves <laughs> raspberry preserves you know all sorts of you know berry preserves loganberry loganberry Huckleberry, <laughs> Dingleberry. Dingleberry. What's weird? Now listen. Yeah, wow, I have. Not, I don't want any Dingleberry. A, a PB and Jingleberry. Dingleberry. Uh, Jingleberry <laughs> sounds festive. I'm sure, there's not many Jingleberries. I don't know. I think I got one right now. <laughs> but uh, grape jelly. This is just jelly. It's just this weird, like, artificially colored purple. Yeah, grapes are green or red. No grapes are purple. Yeah, grape what, popsicles. Why, yeah, exactly. Why did, why did purple become the color that indicated uh, grape. grape? Red wine. Yeah. Right? It's I wine think. colored. Yeah. Well, I guess now we're feeding our be... kids wine. We're preparing them. Hey, yeah. here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Have a wine and PB&J. Have a PB and wine. <laughs> That'd put him right to bed. I wouldn't start thinking about that. I think there is a grape grape, come to think of it. Aren't they really big and Concord. have a big seed in a it? A Concord grape. Yeah. yeah, no, there's purple grapes. Yeah. But I will tell you that uh, grape jelly never has like the- like the Seeds m- in yeah, it. Yeah, the stuff. No. You don't get the, like, the meat because it's kind of a bullshit jelly. I like preserves, personally. You have a PBJ- Oh, wait, peanut butter and, like, strawberry preserve sandwich? Oh, yeah. Now I, I we're would say, talking. I would say strawberry was kind of the preferred in my house. Yeah, I love up. strawberry uh, with pe- chunks. No, 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 no. I'm not even saying it's bad. But a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is defined as peanut butter and grape jelly. I mean, sure. Have I had a peanut butter and grape jelly sandwich on Wonder Bread and absolutely loved it? Absolutely. Cut it the diagonal. Yeah, which is the right. preferred method by far of cutting any sandwich. I don't care, except maybe a uh, uh, a BLT, because if you cut it at the diagonal, yeah. the bacon gets weird. The, right. The, the only uh, grilled cheese is my diagonal sandwich. I, everything else gets cut straight across. I like a PBJ. Any like I like a sandwich on the diagonal. Mm. Uh, if it's going to be on Club square sandwich. bread, I like it on the diagonal. Except. Uh, the BLT because it, it messes up. I don't want weird like half like no, the, the, quarter the, inch piece the, of bacon. The grilled cheese has to go sideways mm-hmm. because as tradition, you dip it in. You dip it into the tomato soup. Tomato, tomato soup, and of course it's thinner. Cross. I've cross never, cut. I've never actually done that. I've never had them together. I just had the. I knew it was the best part of that whole thing, which was the grilled cheese. You know what? I, I I mean, I agree. But together, it's the thing. Yeah. Rainy day, grilled cheese, tomato soup. Yeah. I mean, it's... I had that, too. My mom made that when I was sick, I remember. Like, that was like, you know, yeah, stuffing a sick... sick bay meal. Never had it. Ryan's shaking his head like he yeah. understands. Never had it. Get, no. Never had it. I've had it. Like, I've been to, to catered parties where they did, like... <laughs> kind of like bougie iterations of like the small cup of tomato no, bisque. I think we were at a party where they had that as an app. Yeah. I think all three of us, a little piece of grilled cheese on a... Uh, yeah, it, was a uh, it was a grilled cheese bite. Bite in tomato With soup. a tomato bisque yeah. sip. Yeah. Shot. Yeah. Right? Very, very like bougie, but also fantastic. The toothpick through it, so it's right. like kind so it's of like dangling like, on this over top the soup. It's hanging. It's, it's like pre-dunked. Pre-dunked. 
flirting. The, the, the flirting, flirting with the tomato soup. <laughs> I feel like I was trying to talk about something. Yeah, no. soup. That was where you were going. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Give me the booze. <sighs> Redwood Empire Emerald Giant Rye Whiskey. Emerald Giant is the name of the largest sequoia in the Sequoia <laughs> National Forest. Redwood Empire Emerald Giant Rye Whiskey. Emerald Giant is the largest sequoia in the Sequoia, sequoia National Forest. Is that is he related to the Jolly Green Giant? Maybe. Very possibly. With the, the Emerald Sequoia? The Emerald Giant. Oh, Giant Sequoia. Sequoia National Park, founded by John Muir. Yosemite, mm-hmm. founded by John Muir. Mm. Uh, John Muir founded the Sierra Club. Um, he, was, he was Scottish, so you have to think that he liked to drink, right? And I started to try to do some research, because, you know, the average Scot... Likes his dram. Turns out, John Muir just liked to hike. Okay. He didn't drink a whole lot. He just took off. He was into, like, the spiritual quality of nature. And so he's born in Scotland. Family moves out to the east coast of of the United States when he's, like, 11 years old. And he slowly migrates west and just falls in love with the, uh, the Sierras. And Yosemite in particular, but that whole area, like Northern California, um, all the way up to Alaska, he was in love with the West Coast and the and the the natural beauty of the West Coast. I mean, which is if you know if you've never been to the West Coast, it's in vast contrast to the the beauty of the East Coast. What the forests we have out here, in particular, the giant sequoia. I mean, there's. It's an incredible thing to behold, yeah. a tree that is like 10 feet in diameter. No, a, 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 a car can go through it. They're way bigger a, than that. A car can go through gigantic. it. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So that happened to him. He came out here as, as a youth, and he, and he sees the, the giant sequoias, the redwoods, Yosemite, um, uh, the Grand Canyon, and he was like, holy shit. This is some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen in my entire life. Maybe he didn't say it exactly like that. Oh, so is, is this an episode of Drunk History? Yeah. In fact, when you look, <laughs> when you look up in his book, uh, it doesn't say actually holy shit. <laughs> but, I mean, this guy did a lot of crazy stuff. He did a 1,000-mile walk from Kentucky to Florida in 1867. He walked from Kentucky to Florida. <coughs> it's not like... They had Nikes back then. Right. How are you walking a thousand miles? And on that like... was wingtips. Yeah. That's not... He's just like, you know what? I'm going to put gonna... on a pair of squirrel Yeah, and walk shavings. to Florida from Kentucky. And in his book, there's a quote. I don't have it here. But he said he basically chose the like most difficult route. He Like the most flowery and like, you know, forested route he could find is the way that he <clears> went. So, thousand mile walk. Uh, so the guy was like, and, and you often see him depicted barefoot. So he, not even the wingtips. Right. I mean, he was out there, man. And then when he finally made his his way to the West Coast, he fell in love. And so um, this Emerald Giant uh, Rye is uh, every um, every bottle that they sell, they they give. Um, you fell apart. 
I yeah, gotta be able to pick my nose them. without you laughing about. it. No, no, that wasn't what I was laughing at. But you, you were like, I was. Like you, you were meandering slowly, down yeah, one yeah. sentence. You just slowly were stopping no, to a I halt. I wasn't. <laughs> don't, don't worry about Stop the fact that I'm talking. No. <laughs> so how when he's he's gonna walk a thousand miles? Like what? Who's paying for food? What's uh, I mean, like because he did that, that he went to the, oh, the West Coast. No, he, so he that's spent a very... his life, you know, exploring and find, ex, you know, discovering things. What I mean is this? It sounded like that means his life. It was a hundred percent, twenty four hours a day. Or did he go back to Chicago and write, you know, an article and then went back to the West Coast? Once? A little bit of that, you know. I mean, he would go back to society, but he he was he spent a lot of time just out there. And um, to your question, he spent a lot of time very hungry. Mm. In fact, they talk about that, you know, growing up in Scotland, they were poor. And he actually has quotes where he said that they were oftentimes as hungry after the meal as they were before the meal growing up. They, they were just hungry all the time. So he learned at a young age to, to just be hungry and not eat a lot. And they talk about how he carried that throughout his whole life. And I mean, you see that a lot with these like these these kind of out there wandering types that spend a lot of time in in nature. Thoreau, Emerson, I mean, even Kerouac and Ginsburg when they were wandering around, they would like set out into the forest with like a, a like bread. Uh, this guy talks about he would he would roll up like some bread and some coffee into a, his blanket and set out in into nature. He was reading. Emerson at the time. A lot of times, uh, Muir is depicted out in the middle of nowhere in Yosemite around his campfire with like a, a little piece of bread and some coffee reading Emerson, who was his contemporary. He was older, but he was still alive. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting is Emerson and Muir actually met at, a, at, at, a, at one point, and they describe it as Emerson was finally meeting this, you know, kind of transcendental prophet that he had been kind of beckoning and talking about for years. So for him, it was kind of like the realization of like, oh, you're kind of like the Messiah that I've been talking about and waiting for. And then for for Muir meeting Emerson, it was like meeting kind of like the prophet, you know, the laying on of hands almost. It was like the, oh my God, you know, you're you're this person that I've I've been looking up to and so it was very cool um boy it's a real love fest there was definitely i mean muir spent some time with with president roosevelt in yosemite and you know roosevelt was like a man's man liked to camp and hunt and that kind of stuff and there was a little a little bit of a love relationship there in fact muir there's a quote where he said you know i something you know i'm, I'm not going to quote it directly but something about i verily love the man and you know it was, it was a very cool story. Ro- Roosevelt and Muir were actually walking around Yo- Yosemite with like the camera crew and the people, and they're like, you know, this is Yosemite. And then Roosevelt finally turns to Muir and is like, okay, now show me the real Yosemite. And him and Muir go out in the middle of nowhere, you know, camping, um, leave everyone else behind, sleeping under the stars, no tent, no nothing. And that, and they both talked about that for the rest of their lives, as being a very profound experience. Can you do the, the the camp no tent? No. Absolutely. Can you do it? Yeah, absolutely. I went on a thing a little thing back in the day called Outward Bound. And um in Outward Bound, 
we were 30 days in the wilderness with with guides and with you know other people but there was a three-day period where they basically kind of like put you out in the middle of nowhere and you have to fend for yourself um it's called solo and during that solo part of outward bound i mean yeah we were out there in the middle of nowhere by by ourselves with very little provisions no flashlight no lighter no lighter no that was my first question no it was like rubbing sticks together Rocks, you know, trying to strike flint. Let's you, just put it this way: I didn't have a fire. Did you sneak a little? I didn't have a fire for my three night solo. Well, I didn't figure out fire. <laughs> so that was the thing. Some people did. Some people didn't. I think so the guys what you did do. Cheated. What you do after like five o'clock? You journaled a lot. In I'm hungry still, and this is so. Back to that point, John Muir spent a lot of time hungry. Interestingly enough, as much time as he spent in the wilderness, he didn't ever live off the land. Whereas Emerson did. Emerson would eat berries and eat stuff, you know, and live off the land. Get squirrel. Squirrel, whatever. Right. Muir wasn't that guy. It was all kind of weird to me that he didn't. That he didn't subsist. You know, he didn't eat berries and fish and hunt. He he that wasn't part of his thing. He just kind of walked around in awe all the time. Right. It's so beautiful out here. That was Literally his thing. It was like he grew up in a very religious family. In fact, they left Europe to come to the United States because the the sect of Christianity that they were in, his dad didn't think was strict enough. Mm. So they came to the United States to follow a stricter form of Christianity. And, and you know, eventually if you read Muir, you find he kind of drifts away from it and finds, you know, God in, in nature. Um. And uh, and he's but but in a very kind of similar way, he's almost like an aesthetic, ascetic, not aesthetic, a s c e t i c, ascetic. An ascetic, like in the Hindu religion, are are the people that walk through the streets like whipping themselves, right? An aesthetic in the cat, an ascetic in the Catholic religion, you you see depicted wearing like hair vests. With the with the horsehair on the inside, and and the and the the torture of the constant itch or pain is to remind them of God. Oh God, <laughs> oh God, I itch. Whatever it is, you know what I mean. And so Muir was almost an ascetic in the way that he was just constantly walking around in awe of the beauty of nature while slowly starving to death. In fact, Donald Worcester says that he believed Muir's mission was saving the American soul from total surrender to materialism. So I feel like, you know, he was out there walking around in total awe of the beauty of nature and literally writing about it because he was trying to keep America, he was trying to say, hey, look how beautiful it is where you live. Look what a natural gift you've been given. Don't worry so much about, like, Walmart, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, which is still to, to this day, I mean, I think something that we should consider we are so willing to look at our phones and to look at the computer screen and so busy with our lives that we forget what a fucking amazing country we live in on strictly just a natural level. You know, you, you go to, a, a, to Spain. Spain is a beautiful country, but all of Spain is kind of similar, right? You go to Mexico. You go to, you know, most most countries, they have like kind of one ecosystem going on. The United States has all of them and the best ones, the best version of those ecosystems, right? right. We have the Grand Canyon. 
We have Yosemite. We have, um, you know, these places, these national parks that we've carved out to preserve because they're literally the most perfect version of that kind of ecosystem in the world. And I think America's done a pretty good job at, you know, and, and hats off to guys like John Mueller. We've done a pretty good job of recognizing, okay, well, you know, at least to some level, we've done a pretty good job of realizing, okay, that's that's beautiful. Let's let's preserve that. But we've also John Muir lost some battles. There's plenty of valleys and canyons and stuff out there that that John Muir considered some of the most beautiful ones in the world. And then the creation of dams has flooded those valleys. And this is something that's happened around the world, not just in the United States. There's been, you know, entire, you know, uh, people displaced, um, indigenous peoples, towns, cities over, you know, dam building. It's kind of a thing. It's kind of a yeah. gnarly thing. When you build a dam, yeah. you're changing the, the, the face of the earth and all the people are, and all the, the animals and all the stuff that was there is now underwater. And it's there's, gnarly. There's whole cities for like the Three Gorges Dam in China. There's whole cities. I mean, decent sized cities that are... And not just gone. cities, but um, like cultural, like like carvings yeah. and like, you know, Buddhist temples and stuff. Like that, ancient yeah. civilization type stuff right. that's now... Stuff wasn't that underwater should be on, and now it's like underwater. The places that should yeah. be like UNESCO World Heritage sites and are at like the bottom of a reservoir now yeah. to feed some city. Well, and that um and that that dam almost collapsed this year. But the, it was that the one most, in China. This, this year? Yeah. Well, I mean 2020. What's the big one? There's a huge one in, in Egypt that they built. Oh. That that Ryan, come on. No, I don't have that one. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, but in general, they you build dams in South America. There's yeah. so you know they build these dams, and it, I mean, it's crazy. And I, the the one that John Muir was so against was the Hetch something H E H E T C H Hetch something dam, and he fought it his entire life, took it to three presidents, and then finally, you know, it was like through Roosevelt. Who was after Roosevelt, Joss? You know this kind of stuff. Woodrow Wilson, I yep. think. Uh, right. And then, anyway, it was right in there. It was those guys, yeah. and then finally it got to, like, FDR, Woodrow Wilson, and one, and they, they finally were like, okay, build the dam. But Muir fought it for the, like, the, for years at the end of his life through three presidencies. And then at, when he finally died and they built the dam, he, he kind of considered it his like a greatest loss. And he said that, you know, the, the groves he called them that were covered up when they built the Hetch dam were some of the most perfect iterations of groves in the entire world. And so, you know, that's what was cool about him. He was fighting for the beauty. He was he was awestruck by the beauty of nature, and he realized that here in the United States, I mean, he wasn't he was not an American. I mean, eventually he was, but he was born in Scotland. He was always very very um, tied to Scotland. Loved you know his homeland, but he knew that what we had here in the United States was unprecedented in 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 way of in you know natural beauty. And you think about it. I mean, you think of Niagara Falls. You think of the Grand Canyon. You think of Half Dome and Yosemite. 
Um, you think of uh, John Muir was one of the first Europeans. I think, in fact, part of the first uh, exp exploration European exploration party discovered uh, Glacier Bay in Alaska. You think of like those those places, man. I mean, they are. There's no other place in the entire world that has that kind of natural beauty. And to think he plays with Bob Weir on guitar still. Right, right. He's now he's in the Grateful Dead. <laughs> John Mayer isn't who I'm talking no. about. <laughs> well, he didn't do all that. He didn't. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, American landscape of all those? You brought up a lot of big names, right? I mean, I've been in Niagara Falls. I mean, it's I've amazing. Been to Yosemite. Amazing. I have not been to Yellowstone. Do you believe that? Never I've never been to Yellowstone. Yellowstone either. Me either. Three of us yeah. never been. Three out of three. That sounds like an RV trip right yeah. there. Let's Speaking do it. Fun. The Simon, Jeremy episodes. Uh, book on it. The, Simon's driving. Wow. Simon's driving. Awesome. We'll rent the. We'll take the boat. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. What <laughs> Niagara Falls is rad. Very rad. I'd say it's rad and beautiful. I don't know that I call it amazing. It's is pretty it, amazing. I don't know. Amazing to me is man-made. Well, you're weird. I don't know. That's weird. It can be, it can be Wait, beautiful. Amazing is man-made? Yeah. We're talking American landscape? Yeah. Well, I just what, like, I the surf, like the Arizona surf wave in Phoenix is like better than like... No. No, not at all. That was a completely different... You know, well, well just, then define it. I don't know. Just... Uh, the giant cranes and giant bulldozers and things like that to me are amazing. People don't travel from across the world to go see a giant crane. Well, I'm, I'm not saying they, they will should. come to see the Grand Canyon. I understand. I'm, I'm my only point is. Did he compare a crane? No, it just that to be landscapes are beautiful, but I don't call them amazing. Amazing to me is, uh, you know, mechanized. I guess. I don't, get I don't it. know. Just I don't weird. have huh? any idea where this is. Do we need now to go all the way back to define amazing? What's amazing? So I thought it was weird that John Muir spent all this time in nature, but he didn't. He wasn't one of those guys that like lived off the land. In fact, that was specifically talked about in his biography, is that he didn't live. It sounds off the like land. it's your biography. I've never seen you know anything about a man more than John Muir. What are you talking about? Have you ever heard me talk about Nearest Green? Shecky Green? <laughs> you don't know who Nearest Green is, huh? Of course I do. Let's get back to Who's Nearest topic. Green? He's the guy that did the thing. <laughs> it's wild to me how little you know. <laughs> he did the, all of it. Remember? Wild remember him? to me. <laughs> I remember. He would have been 106. Who's Nearest Green? I can't tell you. I know what what he was involved in, but I couldn't tell you a name or like what the was process. He in? It was the, it was uh, the, the, the yeah. That's helping. That's helping my uh... Simon. Is it, uh, Jack Daniels? Yeah, he taught Jack Daniels uh. how to distill. Yeah, thanks, Simon, for always being there for me, bud. Anyway, you guys are retarded. So I um, thought it was the Lincoln process. Yeah, Lincoln County process. So well, I mean, I was, you thought that too? Of course, but. I wanted Simon to say it. Yeah. Simon hasn't so, enough airtime yet. So I thought it was, I think it's weird that John Muir doesn't subsist, right? And I started thinking to myself, you know, we ate moose last week. And it's very likely that John Muir, a big guy that spent all his time out in the wilderness and Yosemite and 
in all these places, very uh. likely he spent his entire life and never ate moose. I've never had moose before. It no, you good. did. You had it last week. No, I mean before that. It was very good. It was good, right? And I started to think, well, maybe a lot of people haven't had moose. And I started to think, well, if you had to prepare moose and you were looking for a way to prepare moose, how would you prepare moose? Maybe people don't eat a lot of moose because they don't know how to prepare it. Well, it, it has to be a it has to be one of the harder animals to, as your brother used the term, harvest. The well, skin well, must yeah, yeah. be so thick to get into the b- meat and bones. I find dolphin mm-hmm. is very, very hard to fillet. But, well, that's another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look around my office here, I've got, a, you know, I have, you know, mahogany bookshelf with oh, lots yeah. of books. It's a very, uh, you know, important place to be. Yeah. What's the line from from Anchorman? I have a lot of books and mahogany. <laughs> you guys don't know. Simon? I've got I, a lot of books and mahogany. Yeah. So I have a lot of books and mahogany, and a vast majority of the books in here are cookbooks. About okay. moose? I don't know if you know that. So I started sh- digging through the cookbooks to see how many recipes for moose that I could find. I'd say I probably have easily upwards of over a hundred cookbooks in the room. Okay, and I I got to be honest, I didn't go through every single one of them because I, I I'm, because I know that how to cook like Louisiana seafood isn't gonna have a moose recipe in it. So I try to narrow it down to the specific <laughs> books that I was was sure you know try to find a moose recipe in. That one though is really good though the Creole moose cookbook. Yeah, it's a bestseller. Yeah, oh, God, the Creole moose. Uh-huh. I don't but have I think, that one. But I think Ryan blew the joke there. You can't use that because you're going to that, right? Does he really have a... No, uh, I don't have a, a Creole, Creole moose, moose oh. book. Well, kind of, though, actually, which is funny what you say. So, so I went through them all. I'm not finding a lot of moose, right? And I went through some, like, old, really, really old, you know, but they were French, so there was no moose. And then I tried to find some old, like the Fannie Mae cookbook from the, the Boston, you know, night like 1800s cookbook, no moose. I went through um the McGee uh, on food, which was like is like like everything on food is in that book. Uh no moose. I'm very surprised that I didn't find moose in the McGee book. So then I pick up this little book, the Trish Hilferty game, a cookbook. Is that a, a a wild hair strung up? Yeah, that's a that's a hair rabbit. So game a cookbook, no moose. Hmm. No moose. No on moose. A game, in cookbook. game a cookbook. It's too big Piss a game. Me off. That's a huge. So book, then I'm like, it. okay, okay, okay. Basic butchering of livestock and game. Nah, they're talking about a duck. John J. Mettler Jr. Junior. Well, Thought the, for the sure. first mistake is Junior. The Junior. You know what? No moose in basic butchering of livestock and game. Really pissed me off. So now I'm panicking. I'm going through, I'm going through. I cannot find a moose recipe in all of the cookbooks I have in my office. Finally, I pick up this little number. (laughs) Eat Your Way West with Lewis and Clark. (laughs) Look at the pictures on that. 
Is that literally from first? 1500s? We started with the local wolf yeah. and both had dysentery. Park and Seriously. the many food history lovers at the end of the Oregon Trail. People were eating human beings at the end of the Oregon right? Trail. There is definitely not a recipe from the Donner Party in here, but there right. could be. Dude. So acknowledgement. Uh, th- th- acknowledgement. We apologize in advance. Yeah. Um, it is from the Morris Press cookbooks uh, released in. Uh, Find the first publication. Kearney, Nebraska. What year? You can Kearney, find Nebraska, it. You can find it. 2003. Oh. Not that old. That's not. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, the shoe leather was delicious. Page 26, right after Lewis's baked gray squirrel recipe. Is that Lewis of Lewis and Clark? Yeah, Lewis of Lewis. So Lewis was handy with a squirrel. Oh, yeah, it was real lickety split. I'm sorry. I I know you're going somewhere, but can we give 15 seconds? How hard is it to deconstruct a squirrel (laughs) to eat it? I love deconstruct a squirrel. I've eaten squirrel. It's so I I actually have had squirrel once in my life in 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 Colorado, at one of those wooden restaurants where like all they have is like possum and like how is it prepared? In a stew. Yeah, squirrel stew. It was in a soup. Right. (laughs) It was a lot of squirrel. This is this recipe is Lewis's baked squirrel recipe. Takes four squirrels. First, first part of the recipe, four squirrels. Four squirrels and seven bows. Let me ago. just give you the, what it takes to make the, the, the squirrel recipe. Lewis's Big Squirrel is four squirrels, <laughs> flour, one can beef bouillon, a fourth cup Worcestershire sauce. That's hard to say. They had Worcestershire sauce It's not sauce Worcestershire. Worcestershire. It's Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's multi-syllabic. Worcestershire. No, it's Worcestershire. It's not five syllables. Yeah, oh, it is. It is. Worcestershire sauce, two tablespoons chopped parsley, two tablespoons wild onion. Could be ramps. Yeah. I'm thinking ramps when I hear wild onion. One clove garlic, one bay leaf, salt and pepper to taste. (laughs) Salt and pepper to taste. Dredge squirrels with flour and brown. Dredge. Drown squirrels. Drown squirrels in the pool. No, it's not. <laughs> so anyway, that's um that, that's the kind of book we're working with here. We've got the Lewis's baked gray squirrel. Clark's got, dysentery. Yeah. We've got Buffalo yeah. Turnip and Berry Ragu. <laughs> Jesus. Grandmother Clark's gopher pie. Wow. Oh. Three large gopher. <laughs> Three large gophers, and you needed four squirrels. I got to be honest. Gopher is way bigger than a squirrel. Grandmother Clark's gopher pie: three large gopher, (laughs) Jesus, two cup tree root of choice. Oh, oh, well, that's good. Thank God. What? What's your go-to tree root, Josh? I mean, oak. Oak. Oak Yeah. Yeah. We both said at the same time. Yeah, Oki. Oki. We've been talking about that. I remember that. Yeah. We talked a lot about Oki. I don't think that's an edible one. Oak. So what is an edible tree root? It's not what a carrot. Did... No, that's not a that's not a tree. Yucca? Nope, not a tree. I don't know. So three gopher. Large. <laughs> large gophers. 
two cup tree root of choice, three tablespoons available spices, whatever you got. Yeah. It's gopher. I mean, at this point, <laughs> throw it in the pot. Just, hey, throw, it just in. throw it in. Throw it in. Throw it in. Three tablespoons lard. Yeah. One fourth cup mealworm flour. Is mealworm flour? I think it's flour that has mealworms in it. Why? You get that at Petco. Yeah. (laughs) Fourth cup mealworm flour. Is that like earthworm casings? I don't know. Is that flour that's been like rotting? Salt kept dry with bugs. Of course. I mean, what are we new? Water yams cut in one half chunks. Who makes this recipe in the wild? Grandmother Clark. Yeah. It's her it's her gopher pie recipe. It's a lot of So okay, so I'm going through this, I'm thinking this is good, and then lo and behold, on page twenty seven You're not gonna tell us how that pie ends. <laughs> I mean it ends fantastically. What do you mean how it ends? Did it have a crust? You can't Gut go and skin gopher. Kill first, it says. It's just kill first. In, 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 that's parenthetic. <laughs> Gut and skin gopher, kill first, cut up chuck into bite-sized pieces, heat very... Did, l- did she know the name? The, the fucking gopher's name was Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chuck. Why you gotta cut up Chuck? Yeah. Alan was I mean, second. This is a very interestingly written, yeah. <laughs> written slap. Recipe. Heat over a very large cast iron skillet, one that you have carried for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Over a wet, smoldering fire, making sure the skillet and lard is hot enough to brown gopher. Which must be like 1,000 degrees. Add spices and a run around and scream while your eyes attempt to recover from the mass amount of smoke produced by the smoldering fire. Wow. Does it really say that? Yeah. It really says that. Once meat is brown, sneak under the smoking blaze and add water, salt, and yams. Thicken with mealworm flour. If this doesn't bring a Lewis and Clark smile to your face, then take the skillet and all its ingredients and throw it over the embankment and uh, and add. What does it say? Something something go for pizza. What, what I want to know was was the Lewis and Clark you know expedition or the, going along the Oregon Trail was that like advertised like go with Lewis and Clark you'll laugh your eyeballs off hey, like, like come for the adventure stay for the death yeah stay for the dysentery enjoy the gopher. Like, Come for the gopher, stay for the dysentery. <laughs> but they're, they're talking about it like it was like you were going on this luxury it's travel. It's a laugh riot. It's a laugh riot. Ryan, kill the gopher first. Yeah, please. Don't have a live gopher in the pot. So here we go. Lo and behold, page 27 of Eating Your Way West with Lewis and Clark, moose meat and corn casserole. There we go. Moose meat and corn casserole. One pound smoked moose meat. Smoked. But by the way, they just skip to that. You no, by to, the way, you have to sell oh, you, 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 you have to kill the moose and, and then, then the smoke harvest. it. You know, last time I tried to smoke moose, it really made me cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You smoked, know, smoked, is it? One pound smoked moose meat, a canned tomato soup. Two cups wild potatoes. Wild potatoes. Do you mean just like partying? Like How they're you, partiers? <laughs> yeah, Lucy. They're out all night. Two <laughs> tablespoons chopped wild onions. One can cream of celery soup. 
two cups fresh corn. Let me tell you this. I have a question, too. You don't How, need wild anything. But they, it's, the whole dish is fairly wild, if you ask me. Well, but they also say, like, wild potatoes and then canned. Can of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why have, are you using canned corn and wild potatoes? It, was I that think, on the in the wagon train? Did they bring canned Wouldn't you say it's them? easier to find wild corn than wild potatoes? <laughs> How many wild potato fields do you find outside of, like, Wales, Ireland, and England. Yeah, I mean the the potato is the potato is you know domestic to the the North America. No, that's absolutely not true. The, the Irish potato famine in Ireland is. I mean, potatoes are no completely from Northern Europe. Yes, potatoes are from South America. Just so oh, yeah, clear on that. Is so how did it go from South America? Peru to is pretty much the the the. It the, actually the potato famine in Ireland was they got brought over there. People started planting them. They got some disease and all. They were all uh, they were all like they got moved into society. The reason there was a potato famine in Ireland is because it never stopped raining for like six years. And well, so, who the f-, f lamo from Peru brought them to Ireland to no, cause it's, all it's this the, the, the fact is, is the. The English brought the damp. English brought the damp. The English brought the damp. Yeah, Peru. Peru did, likes to chew on cocaine did, leaves. Did, That's nope. all I know about Peru. <laughs> Does, you ever been to Peru? A lot of cocaine leaves chewing. When you go in the high altitudes, it opens up the the lungs. The the. It does. Teats. I've never been to Peru actually, but people that I know that have been there. Chewed cocaine leaves. I never chewed no damn cocaine leaves, Mom. Why, nope. you got some? Still going. I've never heard of a country where no one's been to it, but there's so many sayings from Peru. Wow, I don't know one saying from Peru. Well, you can you can use Peru in everything. Give me a saying from Peru. The Peruvian body slam? The Peruvian <laughs> enchilada. No, I don't know any of that. No, you can use Peru and everything. People use Peru all the but time. I don't think that's a thing. I, don't, I, th- I, don't, I think it's a thing. I don't think that is. No one ever says Peru, like, ever. You, which it, it kind of is like... I might have said Bolivian marching powder at some point <laughs> in my life, but that's totally different. There's, there's nothing to do with this Peru. Oh, God. So what do you think of the Muir? It smells like I gotta be honest. I don't generally like a rye because I find them to be kind. They taste like scotch to me, and I don't like scotch. I'm not a big rye fan, but this is good. I'm getting kind of a cinnamon, cinnamon, kind of note. It's super sweet and not too peppery. I, I think a little apples in there, a little chocolate. I'm definitely getting some apple peel. For sure. Caramel. But we always say caramel. Right? Caramel is part of the yolk. But no, that's that, <clears throat> that's good. Um, Let's see what it says about John Muir. Born in 1967, John Muir was of New York. 1967? Uh, that was a rock star. New York descendants who founded his first band at age 16. Wait, I think oh, you're reading no. the wrong bottle. Nope. Oh, yep. John Muir. <laughs> Known as the father of national parks, John Muir was an influential naturalist 
and gnarly, wait, no, early advocate for the preservation of American wilderness. As a writer, John Muir's philosophy regarding the spiritual union of man and nature, in quotes, inspires our distillery in the heart of the Redwood Empire. So let's burn down the trees in honor of John Muir and make our whiskey. John Muir is quoted as the inventor of national parks. Big claim. It's, I don't know enough about him. You wrote the biography. Is that? Do you feel that that's true? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. Uh, uh, Sequoia National Park and Yosemite were the first two national parks, and it started the entire national park program um, under Roosevelt, I believe. And um, so, yeah, it was, it's a big deal, man. And as a guy that lives in California, I find myself drawn to the Sierras. Um, there is a natural beauty up there, unprecedented, and I have been all around the world. And I will tell you that we are very, very lucky as Californians to have access to an unprecedented beauty unlike anything else I've ever seen anywhere else in the world. <clears throat> so that being said, come visit. We'd love to take – dude, and we, we touched on it earlier, sequoias. I mean just, the, just a giant sequoia. If you've never seen a tree that you can drive your car through because the diameter is like up to 12 to 15 feet, then you should come out to California and catch catch one because it's a pretty trippy thing. It, it really is. And we've, I've made fun of myself. You guys have made fun of me of not liking a lot of things. I like that. Going it, up to it, the it, Redwoods. It's really, really killer. I mean, it's beautiful and... You literally, what's the famous tree where you can literally drive a car through it? No longer. No longer, yeah. Oh, that's right. Got, hit by, got hit by lightning a couple years ago. That's right. But just, just one correction, they're about 30 feet diameter. Okay. Wow. Wow. 30 feet's huge. Yeah. yeah. What? How old is a 30-foot tree? It has to be 50, 20, I mean. Well, thousands of years. Thousands. Thousands of years. of years old. The oldest living things on the planet are trees. trees. Some of them, you know, the top ten oldest things on the yeah. planet are some of the sequoias. Um, so it, it's 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 pretty phenomenal. And even when Roosevelt and Muir went camping out amongst the sequoias, uh, the president talks about um, the fact that sleeping beneath the sequoias was like sleeping in some ancient temple built by you know hands beyond the capability of man. You know, like yeah. God-like temples. And it really is. I mean, it is incredible. So 30 feet diameter. Mm -hmm. What? How tall is the average sequoia? I mean, we're talking, I mean, so Emerald Giant is one of the largest sequoias. I think maybe the largest sequoias. There's also um, Sherman. Sherman? His name is Sherman. Sherman. Yeah. Which is the Shaman. other, like, I think Sherman is the oldest, and uh, and the Emerald Giant is the tallest sequoia. Sherman is, like, thousands of years old. Right. Cra like, probably saw dinosaurs and shit. Yeah. You're saying average about 275 feet. And, and what, can you get an age? Hey, um, Siri, how old no, is no. Sherman the tree? 
Okay, I found this on the web for how old is Sherman the tree. Check it out. Wikipedia popped up. Sherman is a giant sequoia tree located in the giant forest of Sequoia National Park in California. It is the largest known living single stem tree on earth. It is estimated to be around 2,300 to 2,700 years old. And they're thinking they have a total lifespan of 3,000 years. Pretty wild. So Sherman's an old man. And I, having gone and I've seen Sherman, he's one of those trees with like the 30, you know, 30 yeah. foot diameter, couple hundred feet tall, 2,700 years old. How much water does it need? <laughs> Do you have to water it still? I think it pretty much doesn't need watering. No, it probably does. But it's that old and that tall, I mean, it's got to have a taproot that goes deep, baby. Yeah. Can you imagine how deep that root goes? The giant, uh, the giant sequoia um, can grow up to two feet per year through its first 50 to 100 years. After that, it slows down. Pretty phenomenal. Let's do it. Let's do a road trip. Let's do a road trip this summer. We got to do a road trip. And do the, show, do the show from yeah. there. Let's do a camping trip Big up to campfire. the There's a great place. Nice size RV. Yeah. No, no, no. We don't have to have an RV. I know a place. Well, we'll take an RV to get there and then. Okay. We, uh, I, mean, I know a place. I know a place that has a cabin in the Sequoias. Running water. Running water. Shitter. Bidet. Right. You have a bidet? There's a bidet option? So, I'll hook you up. We'll go. It'll be rad. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast.